0: educates and informs us. There are many decisions to be made out there as a parent, mother, father, grandparent, birthing person, aunt, uncle, neighbor. Whole mother believes that we need to always make our choices out of rational thinking, choices that are made through education and research, not out of fear, especially fear that is imposed by those who stand to profit from our choices. It is hoped that the education you receive on this show will contribute to changing the way we birth and the way we parent. All humans are born good. I've seen more than 3,000 babies come into the world, and I can tell you, there are no bad babies. There are no bad humans. All babies are born exactly the same in their goodness, their innocence, their curiosity, their brilliance, their ability to love. And to trust. They are all born the same in their delight in the world. It doesn't matter what country they're born in, what their skin color is, what language they're learning to speak, or how much money is in their family. We are all born with the same goodness. We all come into the world with the same potential. If that's true, that all humans are born without hate, judgment, jealousy, shame, then where do we learn those qualities if we're not born with them? Oh, mother is here to look at our parenting, which begins in the very first moment of birth. Probably begins really at conception. It's my belief that we learn about life and we make decisions about life from the very first moment. So if that's true, The first moments, the first hours, the first days, the first weeks, the first years are really important to tell our child that their needs will be met, that it's safe, they're cared for, and their feelings are valuable. My guest today that I'm very excited about is Kirsten Noddleson. She's a mother to two sons who are 18 and 25. She's worked extensively with parents, preschool staff, teen parents, and families experience substance abuse issues as a parent educator and a consultant in Austin, Texas for the last 30 years. Kirsten loves teaching and leading all sorts of support groups and classes, especially ones that involve play, pillow fights and wrestling. She's been using the hand-in-hand parenting approach in her own family for over 24 years, and she's eternally grateful to have had those support tools during the teen years as her boys grow into young men. All of her work is based on the principles of the hand-in-hand approach which she believes to be nothing short of peace movement in action. So happy to have you, Kirsten. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your knowledge and your experience. Uh, Tell our audience first a little more about your personal journey in parenting that got you to where you are and the work you do today.
1: Mm, Well, first, thank you so much for having me, Pat. I always love being here and I love just being with you and I'm always so um, inspired by the work that you're doing and what you're sharing with parents out in the world. Thank you. Thank Thank you you. for putting that out there. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess, you know, I think about my, when you say my personal parenting journey, it feels like it started when I was a child. You know, like I just remember very, at a very early age, already thinking about what kind of mom I wanted to be. And so it started so early, I don't know, four five, six years old and already sort of gathering information and seeing what I saw and feeling what I felt and sort of making decisions that that long ago. And, and I think, I guess one thing I wanna say is that at all those decisions I made and all those things I thought about ahead of time I I just knew how it was going to look, I knew how it was going to be, the parent I was going to be, and it was all sort of idyllic and um, I thought I was ready and I was a preschool teacher before I became, I'd done lots of babysitting and I was a preschool teacher and I had um, seen so much and worked with so many families before I even became a parent that I was sure that I had it nailed down and it was going to go just so and and then i became a parent and found myself exhausted found myself confused found myself doubting you know like just not having it look the way i thought it was going to look it was not a simple formula in parenting you know you plug in a and you get b um not only was my child their own individual person but i was my own person with my own set of you know, my emotional backpack that I came with and my experiences, but my um, husband and parenting partner, he had came with his own set of experiences. And, and I was kind of blown away by how hard it was. And it really threw me. I was like, goodness, what is happening here? And... um everything from like loneliness and isolation that i felt and didn't expect to confusion to the judgment i felt out in the world for the decisions i was making about how i was going to parent i mean even before my son was born i was already getting judgment from you know the medical field about how i wanted to give birth and you know like it started that early the self-doubt and the questioning and i think that all of that is part it's not as much our children as all those other factors that make parenting feel so hard. And it feels like it's our children, but I think a lot of it is really the environment and the background and the history in which we are the, what we're swimming in when we are parenting. And so, you know, that's what kind of got me to focus from, you know, before I became a parent, I was a preschool teacher and I had started doing trainings for parents. Um, But that's where once I became a parent, I became even that much more passionate about, wow, parents really need to feel supported and listened to and seen and understood. And, you know, it wasn't as much about like, here's how you feed your child this many ounces of this much food a day, or how many hours your child should sleep. But if but if parents could not feel so alone and could feel seen and could feel heard, that they were better equipped to make those decisions because I felt better equipped to make all those decisions, all those thousands of decisions we make a week as a parent. When I felt restored and supported and cared about and respected, I was better able to do that. So that's kind of what got me to do the kind of work that I that I do.
0: Mm-hmm. I know there are so many parents out there listening that can so identify with what you have said, mm-hmm. and I think it must be comforting for them to know that they're not alone. I hope so. That they're not. Yes, that there's nothing wrong with them, that they have those worries and fears.
1: And Yeah, that's right. I I think we have a better understanding of that in some ways now, I hope. Yes. You know, and that there is more support for parents out there, you know, if you're feeling alone, see if there's, you know, local parent groups, mom's groups, dad's groups, play groups, um, you know, there's online information, you, you know, there is more than I think a lot of our parents maybe had in yes. terms of support right? and or that good information, we compassion.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, tell the audience a little more about Hand-in-Hand Parenting and some of those tools, because, you know, that's completely different than what people like me had. I didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that
1: is so valuable. True. Sure. So Hand-in-Hand Parenting is a nonprofit that uh, founded in 1989 by Patty Whiffler, and it offers an evidence-based trauma-informed program that consists of five, five, five simple, but nurturing, emotionally responsive tools that support the adults and the children that they care for. Uh, I joined, I became involved with Hand in Hand when my son was about, you know, a year old and, you um, and at that time, we still had little paper booklets that we had to mail around, and it has grown and grown and grown, and we now have over 250 certified instructors across five continents. And we offer a variety of classes for parents, caregivers, educators, and really the, the mission is that we help parents when parenting gets hard. And it's, you know, based on Patty Wiffler's years and years of experience of observing and watching and seeing what worked and seeing what didn't work and creating these tools and and also now what I think is fascinating is as we are getting more and more um, information about neuroscience and trauma and how important attachment and connection is, it lines up with everything that Patty was seeing and and doing for all these years. Patty and her and her crew and our you know. It's, it's kind of amazing how insightful she was. Like she didn't start from science, but the science is lining up. It's yes. it's pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. I love that. Uh, tell the audience how they could uh, find parenting. Hand in hand parenting. Hand in on, hand on the web.
1: Yeah. So hand in hand parenting is the nonprofit that's based out of Palo Alto, California. It is going to be hand in hand hand in hand org, And then it's a little confusing because my work is handinhandworkshops.com. So I'll rephrase that information later on in the in the at the end of the call. And I'll also send you some links so people can get in touch with both me and Hand in Hand Parenting.
0: Very good. Mm-hmm. Well it seems like we've heard a lot uh about anxiety in children and adults these days. That are you seeing a rise in anxiety with the work that you do with parents?
1: Well, I'm definitely seeing that many parents are coming to me with issues that to me look like they stem from the root of fear. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really worth noting here that many of the behaviors that parents are concerned about or that we're seeing and in schools and um, out on the playgrounds and at homes that they don't look like what we think of as fear. You know, it might not be a child, you know, standing there, biting their fingernails and saying, I'm scared, but it can um, show up in many different ways. And I think this is where I see a lot of the questions and the concerns. And I see it showing up it it can look like aggression one is one of the key things that is actually masking fear Um, rigid behaviors you know where a child can't has to have things in exact precise way or else it's just they can't tolerate it Um, some children withdraw where they kind of check out and they sort of glaze over and and that's one of the ones that there's a way that that almost concerns me more particularly Like when they're in school because this is not a child that's going to act out quote unquote or misbehave and because they're kind of withdrawn and checked out it's easy to skip over them and not notice that they are really feeling lost and scared um also you can see it as things like children not wanting to share not being able to cooperate not being able to listen And so many of these things are things that people think, oh, they're misbehaving, or they're spoiled. Oh, they just don't listen. They won't cooperate. They're such a, you know, brat. There's all these terms we use when, in fact, actually a lot of those behaviors are on top of fear. You know, when a child gets scared, they can't think well, and then there, this behavior starts to show up. They won't be able to be as empathetic with people around them. They're not going to be able to learn as well they can't share, or cooperate, all of these things. And they sometimes they stop doing things they want they love to do. So you might not see all of these behaviors in your child, but these might be some of the things that you're seeing.
0: I'm sure that sounds very familiar to the parents listening out there or grandparents or um
1: school teachers. teachers. Yes.
0: Because mm-hmm. we do see that. Mm-hmm. Um and how how do you think how does fear contribute to those behaviors?
1: Great, great question. So, basically, we are all wired for connection with each other. You know, we come out first thing. The child does; they cry, and they're really like. Unless there's something um, difficult medically that's happened, a child will come out looking for a human. We we want to be. We want. We be function best in connection with the other. We know from neuroscience that really our brains do work best when when there's a sense of connection they feel safe when they have attachment you know solid relationships when they have love shelter safety Um, and this and that sense is fueled by um, eye contact warmth consistent caregivers adults who are attuned and at least somewhat regulated most of the time and that, that sense of safety allows them to kind of go about their business and live their lives and learn and play and try things and be curious and reach out to other humans. Like there's a sense of safety, like people are okay. People are good. I can play with this person. I don't care how old they are or how young they are. I'm just, I belong with people. Um, I want to
0: reiterate what you said there, that when they feel safe, Mm -hmm. they can do that
1: yep in an ideal setting
0: Mm -hmm. when they don't feel safe
1: that's right and that's what happens my next part I want to mention is that when they don't feel safe that happens when the connection breaks and that can be as simple as something very small like you are well I mean I first want to say that there's there's big breaks in connection that's easy for us to understand. You know, there's a medical trauma, you know, a a physical injury where they're raced to the hospital or something really dangerous happens Um, when they're put in a threatening situation, whether it's, you know, either being um, exposed to violence or being the victim of violence themselves. Um, It might be something really startling like a dangerous animal comes barking at them or a disconnection like their parent is they're separated from their parent for some reason a parent is sent away or they're they move or you know a grandparent is gone the grandparent dies like those are those are disconnections that many of us we see that we understand that oh sure that's a big disconnection but i also want to say that there's many disconnections that happen that can seem inconsequential to us as adults like we kind of don't even notice them so this might just be that you're with your baby and you're holding this newborn or two-month-old and you're cooing and gooing and you're looking at each other's eyes and you have that attuned communication where you're sort of back and forth. They make a sound, you copy the sound. You're deeply, deeply immersed in each other's eye contact and they're just feeling that full-on, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps when I talk about that. Like <laughs> <Me> that too. That <laughs> feel of just... Really like, oh, I've got a person right here and we belong together and we're safe and they feel that. And then very often something happens. It could be something as the door bell rings and we have to go get it. It could be another one of our children calls us from the bathroom and says, come wipe my butt. I need my butt. You know, like it's any number of things happen for us where we put the baby down. We think everything's fine. they're, They're content. They've been fed but we walk away. And for a baby that registers as a disconnection. They don't quite yet understand that we're coming back. Right. Was the parent doing anything terrible? No, it just, but to us, we kind of sometimes don't realize that's a disconnection for them. Yes, It could be something like we're in the backyard and we're playing with our child happily. And suddenly they do something that scares us. You know, they're yes. too close to the edge of the playscape or they're and we sharp, you know, we're scared. So we say, yeah. "Watch out!" Or you be safe. You're not being safe. Be careful. Yeah. And that that the tone of our voice and the facial expression that registers for them as a little disconnection. Whoa! They get startled or jarred by whoa. What just happened? I thought we were having a good old time here. And um, those little breaks in connection sort of mount up, and and. It doesn't seem like a fear thing, but when they get unresolved, when they're left unresolved, it starts to register as fear. This can also be having a scary dream in the middle of the night, falling out of bed, getting physically hurt. Um, All of these things kind of our brain is wired to register when something's not right for good reason, because we want our brain to notice, whoa, dangerous situation. I need to do something so. But the the brain can't always notice when it's not really a serious issue. You know, if, if a parent says, ah, be careful, our brain might not say, oh, they're just looking out for me. This is good, they're taking care of me. Instead, it's sudden and abrupt. Why are you yelling at me? Mm-hmm. And, and for good intention, you know, like right. the parents not doing anything harmful. Right. They right. understand. Of course. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, what can parents do to break, um, to prevent those breaks and connection.
1: Okay. Well, some of the things we have control over. So some of the things are sort of like creating downtime for ourselves, where we sort of are off screen for a while. We have playtime where we're moving in and doing eye contact. And I think lots of different, um, experts have talking talked about sort of making the most out of caretaking moments so when you're feeding your child you're actually you know that's i think what's so important about dinner time it's not as much about the food as like it's a time when we're all sitting together and looking and talking at each other and you know rather than the child sitting down at the table and i'm running around in the kitchen doing all these other things which keep in mind as parents it's difficult to do that but You know, those moments, changing diapers, feeding, bath times, getting dressed. I love this example of, um, you know, how a, a, a preschool teacher here in the U.S. went over to Reggio Emilia, Italy, and she was very smug because she knew this faster way to teach all the kids how to put their jackets on expediently by themselves. So it would hurry up the process. She was so proud because she could share this. And the Italian instructors were like, why would you do this when you would miss this? And she took, you know, this instructor took the child who was waiting patiently with their coat. And she sort of wrapped the child's arm, put the child in one arm, wrapped the jacket around the back of the child. and The child put the other arm in. Then she snuggled up the blanket I'm trying to snuggled up the coat I'm trying to show this over the radio (laughs) and just kind of gave the child squeezed the child in and gave the child a little kiss on each of her cheeks and it's like wow what a moment of connection that in our rush to be expedient and efficient and timely that those kinds of things get missed so those are some of the ways that we can you know create that connection creating sacred time five 15 minutes On the floor, you know, when you get home from work and you're that you've been gone for them all day, all day, that's a big breaking connection and as parents all day we've been thinking oh my gosh I need to get home I need to answer those emails I need to make the dinner. But boy what a difference it makes when you walk in the front door if you can just drop down on the floor and set the timer for 15 minutes and roll around on the floor have a little (laughs) pillow fight or just sit and read with your child or really even like when you first pick them up from school or preschool, like spending just remembering like pouring in the time ahead of time is probably going to save a lot of stress and anguish for everybody. But it's also about since, since our sense of grounding and connection impacts how grounded they feel and safe. It's also about us making sure that we create some time for ourselves so I encourage parents to like if it's difficult for you at pickup time can you pull your car over on the side of the road for 15 minutes and just listen to your favorite music or call a friend or listen to a podcast or just sit quietly and breathe for the first time of the day you know like where you just get to stop before, so that when you pick up your child you're not having like all of that ugh, the stress of the day and all that already on you where you're disconnected Yeah. So simple things like that. Maybe, you know, maybe you just, you know, walk around the neighborhood for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. so you feel more connected. Maybe I think reaching out to a friend and having them listen to you and just share about your day helps you feel more connected because you're the one that's going to be trying to give that to your child. And if your well is empty, it's really hard to kind of like scrape the bottom of an empty well.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, I I do want to also say that we're going to talk a little bit about a listening practice. We can try a little bit later, but um, also to just remind parents out there that it's actually not possible to prevent all the breaks in connection that we can try. Sometimes we try so hard to make everything so perfect and never lose our cool and never, you know, just kind of have the perfect quiet household and, and that can, that stress to try to do that can actually create more disconnection. Like, I just want to say, like, you get to be a human being and, and there breaks are going to happen. Breaks are going to happen. And sometimes there are things that aren't even in our control. I, I think about this time when my son was about 18 months old or something, and we would maybe three years old and. We would be getting ready for school and he'd be super happy, he loved his preschool, he'd be raring to go, and we'd drive to school and about halfway there, he started getting all agitated and irritated and and by the time he got there, he was really antsy and I could tell he was really disconnected and I was like, what is going on? He loves it here. What is this? And I started to be curious, which we, that's part of what we're doing as parents is being kind of detectives. I could not figure it out. I talked to the teachers. What's going on? Have you noticed anything? And, you know, we would talk about school and he loved it. And I was like, what is going on? And so finally one day we're driving to school and we're on the upper, upper deck of I-35 here in Austin, Texas. And that's where there would, we would always hit traffic right about that spot. And we would slow down. And I looked over and here he is looking out the back seat, out the window at this billboard. That was for a haunted house wow and it had this ghouly bloody shredded monster you know larger than life picture really like right next to him wow and for him he didn't know what the heck that is right and it startled him and he was scared and he didn't really know how to verbalize it he just knew something was like ah something went into his system that i never noticed until i turned and looked and and that was the thing. We started going a different direction, and that stopped happening. Wow. So, point being, we don't always know all the things. But the good news is that whether and we
0: may, we we may not I, ever find them either. I mean, right. you were kind of lucky that you noticed that. And whereas, I think a, a, a good point here is that no matter how observant we might try to be, we may never know.
1: That's right. But the good news is that like even if we don't know or see or we don't understand what's scary for my child here there's ways that we can repair those breaks that's what we want to hear about
0: (laughs) (laughs) how can we how can we do that because of course we want that
1: yeah yeah so so it's important to know sort of like that when there is a break in connection, our, our bodies have this very innate system for unloading that hurt, that just you know disconnection. And typically, if there's enough room, a child will start to cry or shake or tremble. They're making a loud noise. Um, we are wired to heal. Our bodies don't want us to carry that fear or trauma or upset or embarrassment around inside of us. So that's why when a child gets scared, they will cry. When somebody sharply yells at them, they will usually cry. Um, And that crying is a great way to release tension and fear and worry and anxiety. Um, It's kind of one of the reasons why I think babies cry first thing when they come out. One, they're trying to breathe, trying to get the attention of a human being, but they've also been through a really intense experience so children um so this this thing of crying is actually very healing for our nervous system and especially and when there is somebody close by that can listen it's not the same as sitting by yourself and being feeling all alone with the tears we want somebody to be in their clothes unfortunately our society um, and some cultural norms we have don't often make space for that. We're sort of trained to make children feel better and not make such a big deal of it. And, you know, we're really pulled to stop our children from crying because we're sort of, we, it's like we think that if we stop the crying, we're stopping the hurt. But what we're in fact doing is stopping the healing from the hurt. And so many of us heard things when we were younger you know big boys don't cry be nice stop crying or i'll give you something to cry about oh it's not that big of a deal don't be such a baby we heard things that were meant to make us essentially stop that healing process and inadvertently many of us you know pass that on to our children without even realizing that that's kind of what we're doing and when there's a break in connection, our brain is often um, it's 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 sort of preoccupied with this idea of that I'm in danger and and our higher levels of thinking. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but our higher levels of thinking aren't able to sort of like kick on and we aren't in our behavior. We see, start to see behavior go off track.
0: A, a really important thing that I want to um, emphasize here is that when you stop the crying, you stop the healing. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important for people to understand that. So when you see a child out there who is crying or having a temper tantrum or whatever, I think it's it could be so valuable for all of us to see that that's
1: healing, yeah,
0: that's that that child is healing from something.
1: Yeah, wouldn't that be beautiful? It was just Would normalized. It? Yes.
2: <laughs> We're working on it, aren't we, Pat?
1: Yes, we are. <laughs> All
0: right. So when there is a break in connection, uh, mm-hmm. what happens?
1: Well, when there's a break in connection and those feelings are... So the breaking connection, the child is hurt by that breaking connection. They're confused. Where did you go? What happened? What's happening to me? Am I safe? Am I okay? Those aren't even conscious thoughts. Those are very subtle, subliminal thoughts. And when that happens, a child will usually try to release the feelings. And in the best case scenario, what, what we want to do is be able to move in and listen. Like the child is doing what they need to heal. They will do it innately. You know, the initial thing that happens is they'll try to release feelings. So what a parent can do when that happens is they can do what we describe as play or excuse me, stay listening. So they just really just move in and remember this child knows what they're doing. I just have to be here and be a presence. Do your best to stick close, be warm. And just, you know, you're not really trying to calm them down or make them feel better. You're just giving a safe, warm presence to them so you get down on their level. You know, if you've been doing something that you notice, ooh, that was probably scary. Maybe I was yelling and didn't realize it. Maybe I was really distracted. Just try to do what you can to get close and listen warmly as they unload. And when you do that, you know, you might, uh notice that they actually start crying harder and that's very confusing to parents because they think their job is to get a child to stop crying when in fact what your presence and warmth and calmness and container is doing for them is it's actually making room for more of those feelings that might not really be about what happens what's happening right now it could be some fears from a week ago, 2 days ago, way back as early as birth And I think a key thing to remember is that you are helping that those fears that have been stored in their body to come out. And I think I'm just kind of thinking about sort of like this classic example I have that that makes it so easy to understand is, you know, if, if your child and you are walking along and everything's hunky-dory and they're happily holding your hand and you're taking a walk and everything seems to be fine. They, you can see they feel that sense of connection. I've got my mommy, my daddy here with me. All is well. Birds are chirping. I'm content. Also, out of nowhere comes a dangerous barking dog into their face. And the child will have You know, you can tell like their body would probably tense up, (gasps) they might get scared, their heart rate might go up, they might start to, you know, clench their body. And they also might have the emotional experience of being scared. And more than likely, they would cry, rightly so, like that is their body's way of releasing that tension that just went in. We don't want to walk around clenched and tight. We want to walk around released and relaxed. So somebody takes the dog away. One scenario could look like this. The child starts to cry and the parent in an effort to make the child not scared says, it's fine. The dog's gone, you're fine. Hmm. In that scenario, the child is wondering, um, I don't feel fine. You know, there's still like, you have to wonder where is the fear that went in? Where's that tightness that went into their body? and basically somebody's saying you shouldn't be scared but the child is and the child's body and mind is saying i am scared so in that scenario the the emotions go inside and don't get to release another thing that could happen is a parent could say quit your crying it's not a big deal and then added to that is also potentially shame or embarrassment or negative talk like, oh, I shouldn't be this upset. So that also goes in and it stays in there and it's not got anywhere to go. So then you've got a child that the next time they see a dog, all of those feelings are gonna come flooded back out and they yes. get an upset reaction. They 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 feel all of those feelings that went in that first interaction.
2: Yes
1: then that can lead to other things people saying why are you so scared it's just a tiny dog you know there's just it can compile in there until it's able to release but another story could be that happens with the dog the parent immediately drops down gets somebody to take the dog away and they just are there while the child gets to unload the feelings as they cry as they shake as they feel the warmth of the parents and the presence That's actually exactly what they need in order for that to get moved out of their body, moved out of their mind. So now that experience is registered in their body of, oh, I saw a dog. It was scary. I remember that. But I also have this experience of my daddy being right there with me. I got to cry. And all those things aren't necessarily conscious, but they are in there as part of the recording of, like, what happened there. So that's what we're kind of like ideally shooting for, you know, that's, that's what we would love to have happen. That's how children get to heal and not get to carry this stuff around with them forever.
0: Yes. Uh, This is such important information. You know, it's, it's not very well known. We don't know. Um, Primarily parents do what happened to them, Mm -hmm. how they were treated. They don't know.
1: And Uh, I i really want to emphasize the parent that said it's fine it's just a dog even the parent that said quit crying they're probably trying to do their best as a parent right. to help their child that's
0: exactly they're not right.
1: i don't want to shame parents yes. here.
0: right but they don't have the information which is why we are doing this show <laughs> yes <laughs> so w- another uh place what about the child that isn't crying uh, or they didn't have someone to listen to them when this something traumatic like the dog happened, but instead they show their fear in other ways.
1: Great, great question. So <clears throat> when a child, and I really here want to say, not just a child, but anyone, this is actually kind of how our adult brains also work. So you might be hearing some of this stuff and saying, <gasps> that applies to me. That's what I do too. Um So if we don't get to move out the hurt, the embarrassment, the fear um, out of our bodies, if we are walking around storing those, we're gonna be carrying it around in our bodies and minds in one way or another. And sometimes we can release these fears and upsets in small doses. Maybe we cry at a commercial or we laugh really hard at a funny story or something funny happens. Laughing is actually another great way to release, not just tears, but you know, we move them in small doses. But if if those upsets get to be, if there's too many stored and we are not getting to have any way to release, what you're gonna do is you're gonna start seeing to behavior that goes off kilter. Because a large part of our mind is preoccupied with keeping us safe. And our, when our brain senses danger, whether it's real or perceived danger, we go into this sort of fight or flight mode that many people have heard that term where our our kind of higher level thinking sort of shuts down as these like smaller or larger disconnections, you know, mount up, that sense of fear in our mind gets stronger and stronger. And we are more quickly to tend to go to fight or flight mode. And we can't access that part of our brain that allows us to have good reasoning, be able to make good decisions um, you're gonna see so if they can't make good judgment calls they'll be they won't be able to think well about their classmates when they're in preschool or when you're saying something like sweetheart, it's you know you know i I don't have you know. You know, it's raining outside, we're not going to go out on your scooter right now because you'll slip and they just can't. You know, when you hear a child just say, no, but I want to and they just can't make that leap of reasoning. You know, they can't listen to reasoning. So you'll start to see that kind of thing. Um, This also is something that impairs your short term memory. That's kind of a higher level thinking. And when we don't have that on board, you're going to be you're going to be seeing children that can't remember what you told them. So, you know, you say, go get your shoes out of the bedroom, they go in the bedroom and they forget what you just said. And it looks like they're, quote unquote, disobeying because you go in the room and they're playing with toys. But really, it's like they're so um, preoccupied with this, you know, fear that they don't even realize it's fear. You don't realize it's fear that they just can't think clearly and they can't remember things. Impulse control is lessened when, this, when they're running on fear. And so you'll see children lashing out more, whether it's verbally, you know, calling names, being physically aggressive, pulling hair. Um, you'll see more of that happen. And you'll also see um, just less of an ability to absorb new information. Children don't learn well when they're in fear mode um and and this can be a chronic situation where a child kind of like ongoing source has low level fear happening all the time their ability to pay attention and to focus and a lot of times this is what we're seeing with the behavior issues in school and it's being treated with punishment and punishment leads to more disconnection More disconnection means less ability to think. So it's like we're actually like a lot of the systems we have set up are perpetuating the problem rather than making it better.
0: Good example is uh, the world we live in today.
1: Sure is. Sure is. Punishment, prison system.
0: Yeah.
1: Reward systems.
0: Yes. So Mm -hmm. how can we support children? and others from infancy through our whole lives when we see that they're off trap. And
1: Great. Um, well, as I was saying before, our tool of stay listening is so valuable, you know, listening to tears, listening to what our children have to say, even if it looks like they're complaining and raging and saying things to us that don't make sense. And, you know, they just they really often need to be heard so many times i've listened to my children like complain about something that to me i knew a different side of that story but just hearing them vent it all and then after at the end of it they could go back and make a good decision because they had somebody who heard them out you know it's it's like you know if i had a really lousy day at the office for example and i came home and i said oh you know my partner, I said, Oh my gosh, I just want to kill my boss. And if my boss said to me, like, no, killing your boss is not a nice thing. That's not a good idea. It will make it worse. Yes. And 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 he knows that I'm not gonna go kill my boss, right? Right. So he doesn't say that to me. But we do that to children all the time. Yes like and how great is it to just be able to say all that and like i know what a jerk your boss is and just be able to hear it all and then you can go back to work the next day and kind of do what you got to do so sometimes we just need to trust our children and respect them and know they just have to say something sometimes yes so and then another thing is really like yes we're listening to the tears but we also want to have Lots of play and laughter as a sort of like a baseline of like emotional nutrition in your family for building a sense of trust and safety, carving out designated amounts of time where your child gets your undivided attention. Um, We have a tool that we call special time where you set a timer and you say, Okay, I'm all yours. We'll do whatever you want for the next five or 10 minutes. And it, you know, and you can do 20 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever you think you have like the ability to fully be present and follow their lead and let them do what they need to do. And, you know, you'll find more about that on the Hand in Hand website. But you're you're kind of feeding them good nutrition of connection. The other thing that's really important is that when children are off track and they're doing behaviors that don't work, so hitting or writing, destroying property or kicking or just doing harmful things behaviors that don't work they actually need limits we're not suggesting here even though it seems like this very like warm kind which it is approach they also actually want limits but they want limits with warmth and safety so we notice what's happening we say to our child sweetie that's not okay and if they can stop what they're doing you know you say don't pull your sister's hair and they stop great that's what you needed to do Sometimes when they're so off track, when they're so disconnected, they can't hear that and they continue the behavior or maybe they stop it and do it somewhere, doing something else, you know, take scissors out and fling them around or whatever the next behavior is. We see, oh, this child is off track. They need me to move in close, stop that behavior. We call it setting a limit, bringing a limit. You go in close. You don't yell at them from across the room. You move in close. Stop the behavior. Remember, they can't think well. So you have to move in and stop it for them. So you move in, you put their hand on their hand that's hitting or no, I'm not going to let you do that, sweetheart. Then it might get messy. It's like then we're going to listen to the feelings that have got them off track in the first place. And it will most likely not be about what's happening right here and now. It's oftentimes earlier feelings from earlier in the day, later, you know, like, two weeks ago, whenever, it's kind of like in their emotional backpack that's got too full and we're just moving in and making room and it might get messy. There might be a big tantrum. There might be screaming. There might be, you are a terrible mommy. You're making it worse. This is just their big feelings coming out and that's when you move back into that stay listening place. You set the limit. You stop them from doing what they're doing and then they have a chance to really dump it out don't expect it to mean be neat and tidy. Don't expect it to be just a couple tears rolling down their cheeks. It's gonna look as hard as it went in. So when they got scared or when they, you know, so it, it's not easy, but in a way it's simple.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's not easy. Let's say that again. <laughs>
1: no, it is not easy. It's a big it's a big ask.
0: Yeah, so it looks like it can be pretty hard for parents and What can you say to parents who are trying to do this, but they're finding it very difficult?
1: Yeah, the first thing I want to say is that most parents find this very difficult. I would say very few of us, of all the parents I listen to and work with every year, very few of us were listened to in this way when we were young. And so now here come our children with these big feelings, and we're supposed to listen to them. When we got the big boys don't cry, or I'll give you something to cry about, you know, all of those feelings for us come flooding in so if you're that parent out there that's like okay i want to listen to my child but boy the minute they start i get triggered or i want to spank them or i want to slap them or i want to say shaming things or i want to put them in time out like you having those feelings is totally understandable it's really understandable that's your own emotional backpack coming up kicking into gear and So you get to get lots of support. That's why we at Hand in Hand really believe that parents need just as much of support as their children. So one of the things that we encourage you to do is to have somebody who can listen to you without any judgment or criticism or advice or suggestions where you have somebody you care about or trust. You don't even have to be super close. You just have to really trust them. You don't have to be best friends. And you can even go on the hand-in-hand website and we offer opportunities for people to find listening partnerships. And there's a structured way you can do this if you'd like. And that's what we call listening partnership. And you, in listening partnership, you set a timer. We could do five minutes each, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And each parent, whoever is doing this, gets to be listened to fully for that amount of time with no advice, no suggestions, just listened. And that parent can vent and dump and cry and rage and say all the things they're trying so hard not to say to their child. They can try to remember what was it like when you cried when you were young? Who listened to you? What would you have liked to cry about if you could have? And they really just get to say all those things. And then when their five minutes or 10 minutes is over, then they switch roles and then the other person, then they get to take a turn to listen to the other person. This is a great way to unload our own stress and fear and anxiety. And so that we can be more present for our kiddos. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yes. Very good. Um, What advice might you have for people out in the community that are listening who maybe they don't have any children or maybe their children are already grown?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, um, Just remembering to that when a parent or child is acting off kilter, having a meltdown, you know, if that child that parent is being harsh to the child in the laundromat or the grocery store, that they are feeling overwhelmed, they're doing the best that they can with what they've got, they're sitting on their own set of fears, they're sitting on their own set of hurts that they experienced. So just think about a time when you've been overwhelmed or scared or fearful and like, how would you have liked to be thought of? How would you have liked to be treated? And you know, it might be something as simple as just like smiling at that parent and saying, man, it looks like it's been a tough day for you. Um, Anything I can do to help, um, you got this, you know, just whatever it is that, that you can do to convey, you're not alone. And I think a lot of us have this idea of it takes a village and it sounds like a really good, um, good concept, but then putting it into action. Like this is one of those moments. You know, like when we as a community, as, as people think differently about the way children have feelings and the way that adults have feelings and sort of remembering what you said at the beginning, Pat, about people being good, like being able to remember that at the core That's how we're going to change what's happening out in the world. Like one person, one relationship at a time.
0: Yes, Yes, exactly. Um, Can you give an example, uh, perhaps of how to support a parent if you see them struggling at the airport, at the laundromat, at Target, uh, the grocery
1: store, you see? Yeah. I mean, I think about things like you know, just something as simple as like, I can I can put your grocery cart over to the side if you need to handle this. You know, something that simple. Um You know, airport. I, I remember being, had I had food poisoning one time on a plane before, you know, and I had a one-year-old on the plane with me. Oh, oh. And this woman was like, she just took him onto her lap and... It was like, I still remember, I almost have tears in my eyes. This woman was like an angel. I could just lay down the entire flight. Um, But I also think it's good to just check in with that parent because it can seem like more judgment. Oh, you want to come in and take over here? You know, we really want to make it clear that we have, you know, respect for them as a parent. So just being kind of thoughtful.
0: What do you think about saying to someone like that? Oh, parenting is really hard, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Just something simple like that. Mm-hmm. Just to yep. let them know. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, tell us about the classes that you have coming up. Oh, uh, I Thanks. would so much like for the audience to be able to get more of what you have to offer here.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, for one, I have what we call the Foundations class for parents and which we used to call the starter class at hand in hand parenting we're now calling it the foundations class for parents and i have one of those coming up on march 13th it'll run for 6 weeks and it'll be from 5:30 to 7 pacific time which is 8:30 to 10 eastern 7:30 central That's a six-week class. It's got an online classroom and lots of interaction with other parents. It's really, it's kind of our foundational. It's where people really get to learn about the tools. It's its a wonderful, very packed with information classroom. I'd love to have people sign up for that. I also am doing a Raising Happier Teens and Tweens class on Thursday, starting March 14th. I love that, you know, the the time, you know, things change when your child hits the tween years. Yes. And um, things change. And I have a lot of parents out there struggling with that. So this is also a great class of like how you can apply these tools. It's like not too late for your 16-year-old, your 17-year-old, your 18-year-old. It's not too late to do this. So, um, but this class would be for anywhere from like nine up to 18-year-olds um, or parents of That is Thursday, starting March 14th at 11 Central, Mm -hmm. 9 Pacific. And I have a couple of free Q&As that are coming up, February 22nd, February 29th. Um, I'm also thinking about doing another free Q&A or Ask Me Anything on March 6th. And I also offer one-on-one consultations. If they want to get in touch with me, they can reach me at www dot hand in hand dot com so that's hand i n hand workshops with a with an s plural dot com or kirsten at hand in hand and i'll send you that information because so you can add it to the show link and they can let me know I'll, I'll probably include a coupon for a discount on the classes anybody that got the information from this class because i i love your audience
0: So, (laughs) Thank you so much, Kirsten, for everything that you are doing. You are a world changer. We're so grateful for all you do. And I I hope that uh, lots of people will take advantage of your
1: classes coming up. Thank you so much, Pat. It's such a pleasure to be here.
0: If you want to contact us, we're always pleased to hear from you. Our address is wholemothershow at gmail.com. If you want to hear this show again or... uh, Almost 20 years of previous shows, you can go to wholemothershow.com. If you want to contact me personally, please feel free to email me at birthcare at AOL.com. Uh, I'm seeing that KPFT cannot continue on the air of this program until we uh, do our part to raise money to pay for it. So would you please go to kpft.org or call 713-526-5738 and donate or tip or uh, whatever you can do to help us stay on the air. Thank you to our engineers, to EJ, to Edward, to Eric for all your support. Thank you out there for listening to Whole Mother. I'm Pat Jones and this is KPFT Houston.
2: Like lemon drops High above the chimney top That's where